On May 8, 2018, President Trump announced his decision to withdraw the United States from the Iran deal, also known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, implemented on January 16, 2016. The deal had allowed Iran sanctions relief in exchange for curbing its nuclear-related programs. Coinciding with this action, the U.S. reinstated sanctions on Iran on November 5th. In addition, a large subset of Iranian names and entities were reinstated to OFAC's Specially Designated Nationals, or SDN, list. This is a list made up of those whose assets are blocked and with whom U.S. persons are prohibited from engaging in activities or transactions. So we asked our guests, what do these recent actions actually mean for U.S. financial institutions? and all other businesses for that matter. Banks obviously have to take a risk-based approach to determining whether, you know, this is as it relates to a non-U.S. bank, making a risk-based approach whether they want to still continue to to engage in transactions um, with Iran. I'm Laura Sewell. I'm Andy Goldstein, and you're listening to Fintech Focus from CSI. The consequences to U.S. companies for conducting certain transactions with Iran or doing business with an SDN can spell crushing civil money penalties levied by OFAC. In fact, it's becoming more and more common for the agency to hand down multi-million dollar fines. So what should financial institutions and, well, all other American organizations do to ensure they're not slapped with a potentially devastating fine? Here to explain that and more are Amber Goodrich, compliance strategist with CSI, and Doug Jacobson, an attorney with Jacobson, Burton, and Kelly, a firm specializing in international trade law and based in Washington, D.C. Amber and Doug, welcome, and thanks for joining us on FinTech Focus. Okay, good to be here. Thanks for having us. Doug, I'll start with you. In your opinion, what, if anything, prompted President Trump to take these actions against Iran? Well, this is not a big surprise because during the campaign, the president was was very anti Iran nuclear deal, calling it um, one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever in- entered into. So this was part of uh, one of the many agreements that the prior administration had entered into that that President Trump during the campaign disliked, and um, and he made good on his word that he would withdraw the United States from the Iran nuclear deal, commonly referred to as the JCPOA the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. There are also uh, recent reports from the Associated Press that some conservatives are pushing Trump to expel Iran from SWIFT, which is the uh, Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. Do we know anything more about that? Have, have, has anything happened recently that would, that would lead us to believe that that's actually going to come to pass? And like, what more do you think that would, that would mean for Iran? So this has been part of the, so again, this kind of relates to Laura's first question, which goes to the heart of why the United States is, has, has withdrawn from the JCPOA. And this is because uh, there are certain elements in the United States, certain individuals who believe that the U.S. should or could have done better in terms of putting pressure on Iran. So as you recall, the JCPOA was entered into between the U.S., the EU, Russia, China, to give Iran an incentive to halt their nuclear program in exchange for withdraw- with, with a removal or 
from the U.S. perspective, waiver of the sanctions on Iran. So this was two years ago. This went into effect January of 2016. But many in the administration have taken the position that the reason why the U.S., why this was a bad deal, is because it only covered the Iran nuclear program, and that there are many who feel that that was not sufficient because Iran is involved in other activities, such as ballistic missiles, their role in Syria, other support for terrorism. So that is why, just in terms of the background, so in terms of putting maximum pressure on Iran, so the sanctions were a very important part of getting Iran to the bargaining table to get to where we were in terms of the JCPOA. But now that the U.S. is withdrawing from the JCPOA, the U.S. will now reimpose all of its sanctions that had been previously been waived, including the secondary sanctions on non-U.S. parties. So that gets back to your question in terms of, Andy, in terms of SWIFT. So SWIFT, as, as the listeners most likely know, is the messaging system that links banks internationally for purposes of allowing them to exchange information regarding transfers of financial um you know, in, in terms of financial transactions. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a key component in terms of connecting Iran to the European banks and other banks outside of the United States. Now, the key point is, is that U.S. banks are not authorized and will not be authorized to do business with Iran. So it doesn't have any impact mm-hmm. on U.S. financial institutions. Okay. But this could and this will have an impact on European financial institutions and companies who wish to continue to trade with Iran, um, you know, in the near future. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said that SWIFT is not, they're not going to treat SWIFT any different than any other company. So if they are engaging in Iran with, in transactions with Iran, as they do now, they could be subject to secondary sanctions. And this is a problem because this would cut off it, you know, this could have a huge impact on not only Iran, but also the European and other countries who can still continue to do business legally with Iran. Okay, so two follow-up questions. First, is there any precedent for expelling a nation from SWIFT? And then could you explain to to us and our audience what secondary sanctions are? Iran was disconnected from SWIFT in 2012. Okay. Um, as a result of this is when the Europeans um, were also and the other countries, as a result of this international pressure, were trying to focus to, to pressure Iran to give up its nuclear program. So SWIFT was disconnected from uh, from uh, Iran banks were, were disconnected from SWIFT in 2012 and then were reconnected in 2016 after the JCPOA was implemented. Mm. The difference, though, now is that we're in a very different situation because then European companies were prohibited from engaging in transactions with Iran. Now, only the U.S. is prohibiting their countries, their companies to and banks to prohibit transactions with Iran. So, Iran, so now we are in this very awkward situation where Europe can continue to do business with Iran and they want SWIFT to be still part of the they want Iran to be part of SWIFT, um, but the U.S. is taking the... So now we're in a situation where the U.S. is actually adverse to its allies as it relates to Iran. 
Okay, so let's talk about secondary sanctions and uh, fill us in a little bit on what exactly went into place on November 5th. Yeah, so this is really the crux of the whole issue. The U.S. is going to reimpose the secondary sanctions that have been waived for the past two years under the JCPOA. So there are two types of sanctions. The first are the primary sanctions. And primary sanctions are sanctions that apply to U.S. persons, to to us, to U.S. financial institutions, as well as to subsidiaries of U.S. companies that are operating around the world. Now, under the JCPOA, the U.S. waived the sanctions on non-U.S. subsidiaries by a mechanism known as General License H. That has now been revoked. So, But all of the other sanctions that apply to U.S. financial institutions, U.S. companies, have not been changed at all or were not changed at all as a result of the JCPOA. So that's a very important starting point. So nothing really is going to change as it relates to the ability of a U.S. company to sell goods to Iran other than food, medical, and humanitarian products. The key aspect of the JCPOA was that it allowed the U.S. to to waive the secondary sanctions, meaning the sanctions that the U.S. can apply to non-U.S. persons, financial institutions, or companies doing business with Iran. So these are extraterritorial sanctions, which the U.S. can impose, even if these persons or banks or companies have no nexus to the United States at all. And that's why these are very, very powerful tools, because the U.S. is basically saying, okay, you can either trade with the U.S. or you can trade with Iran, but you can't have it both ways. You're listening to Fintech Focus. We're talking with Amber Goodrich, compliance strategist with CSI, and Doug Jacobson, an attorney who specializes in international trade law about the United States' recent withdrawal from the Iran deal. Amber, there were two wind-down periods which gave businesses time to wrap up any existing business dealings with Iran, which and the second one just ended on November 4th. Amber, what are the steps financial institutions and other businesses need to take right now to make sure they're not the subject of sanctions violations? Yeah, so as Doug just stated, those secondary sanctions are going to go back into effect, which is going to um, obviously entail, in addition to the SDN list of several um, entity names and things like that. And so I think, you know, financial institutions and other businesses obviously need to make sure um, that they are screening the most up-to-date version of the list um, and whether that is, you know, if they're using a manual process going out and making sure they've got the most recent information or making sure that their vendors, um, you know, have processed those updates as well, um, just to make sure that they have the most up-to-date information there. Amber, if... If someone is screening or an organization is screening uh, manually, I mean, how long is that going to take for for them to to uh, implement this update and make sure that you know they're they're steering clear of violations? Um, you know, if they're still using a manual process, I, it will depend obviously on how many entity mm-hmm. names and. Um, individuals are added back onto the list, but they will obviously want to make sure that they're going out 
and visiting the Treasury Department site, um, you know, on or after November 5th to make sure that they've got that most recent update pulled down. So, um, and obviously making sure to go back and do a retroactive screening on their entire customer base as well to make sure that they don't have anybody, you know, that has been re-added to the list is going to be really important too. What about policies and procedures? Um, is it good for financial institutions to review those just to make sure they're updated? Um, I mean, I think it's always, especially, you know, in times of updates like these, it's always a good time to kind of go back and make sure that they are, they're visiting these updates in a timely fashion. And, you know, even if they're using a vendor solution to make sure that the solution that they're using is performing those retroactive type of scans, um, in addition to the, you know, the proactive type of scanning that they do, you know, when you bring on new customers or new accounts of any kind, um, just to make sure that, you know, that you're, you're following all of those steps to cover all of your bases with your existing and your your new customers. How are people that that maybe aren't having to screen against OFAC and have business dealings with Iran, how will Americans in general be affected by this decision? I mean, I can start out quickly and then I'll let Doug kind of tag in, but I think one of the most obvious effects that I've seen as an American already has been um, a rise at the a rise in prices at the gas pump already. We're kind of seeing that climb. Um, we're essentially cutting off deals with one of the biggest um, fuel suppliers. So I think that that's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that that's going to be one of the biggest effects. Well, yeah. So, so one of the, so um, while most transactions with Iran were prohibited already by the JCPOA, the, the one area that actually that was permissible under the JCPOA was the ability for, U.S. aircraft and aircraft parts and components to be sold to Iran under licenses issued by OFAC. So Boeing had entered into a very large contract uh, with some of the airlines in Iran to sell commercial aircraft to Iran, which were badly needed. Now, as a result of the president's decision to withdraw from the JCPOA, that is now finished. So Boeing, you know, there were you know, a large number of aircraft uh, that were intended for Iran. So these are actually U.S. jobs that are not going to be, um, you know, Boeing will certainly be able to sell these aircraft to other airlines around the world. But that is really kind of a, un, you know, that that is one direct consequence of this. And so this does have an impact on, uh, it had an impact on a few U.S. companies, but not too many. It's interesting that he, that President Trump went forward with the reinstatement of the sanctions, even if that means losing the type of deal that we had in place with Boeing, because it seems to be that that Trump's main barrier for placing sanctions on Saudi Arabia, given recent events, is that we have a $110 billion arms deal in place with them. So are you surprised at um, how quickly and how um, almost excited President Trump has seemed to be in placing these sanctions back on Iran? Well, I think, Andy, that's a very good point, because historically, sanctions issues have not really been connected to the impact or adverse impact on the United States. So, for example, the U.S., obviously, we've had an embargo on Cuba for over 50 years, Mm -hmm. and many U.S. companies have lost business as a result of that. And that's always been one of the business community's concerns that they've raised is, hey, we're we're losing business to the Europeans and to other countries that we could possibly have. But, you know, this and many other administrations have said, well, foreign policy issues override economic issues. Now, the JCPOA or the Iran withdrawal was one example where 
this particular administration said, well, we are concerned. And one of the one of the concerns is that there were issues, um, some issues concern raised issues raised regarding what Iran's airline they would do with these aircraft. Because um, there were reports that some of these aircraft are being used to ferry troops to Syria and other things like that. So that actually ended up, that argument carried the day as it related to the Iran deal. Uh, whether how that will impact Saudi Arabia in that separate and unrelated issue uh, remains to be seen. Doug, what effect will all these actions, the, the SWIFT uh, deal, the JCPOA withdrawal, have on our uh, relations with other countries, as you said, allies. What do you see happening there? Well, so that's one of the big issues as it relates to oil purchases. Mm-hmm. So as Amber had mentioned earlier, you know, obviously uh, Iran is one of the larger oil exporting countries in the world, and many of the U.S. allies, including the European Union, India, and others, we, we, you know, rely upon Iranian crude oil and other related products that are produced in Iran. So that's one of the other issues which is going on right now, which is the U.S. is trying to dramatically decrease Iran's oil exports, but these other countries are reliant on them. Mm -hmm. And again, so this is putting the U.S. at odds with its allies, and there are going to be some waivers granted on a case-by-case basis for countries that are reducing its oil purchases from Iran to allow them to continue to do so at a reduced level, but those funds that are then, any funds that are owed to Iran are then placed into an escrow account. So therefore, Iran doesn't have direct access to those funds. You're listening to FinTech Focus. We're talking with Amber Goodrich, compliance strategist with CSI, and Doug Jacobson, an attorney who specializes in international trade law, about the recent reinstatement of oil and financial sanctions against Iran. It seems like at least to me, with President Trump pulling out of this deal and levying tariffs on China and, and, and goods from several different countries, have banks had a tougher time keeping up with names coming on the SDN list and names coming off and, and keeping up with the Patriot Act? Like, how has the compliance landscape been under this administration so far? Um, it's definitely been a struggle, um, and I would absolutely agree that it's created um, a bit of a frenzy anyways. Um, just on our side from fielding questions from customers on, you know, kind of what to expect, and it, everybody's almost kind of walking on eggshells on, at this point um, as far as, like, what's going to come next and, you know, what that's going to mean for them. I mean, I think it it definitely reinforces the importance of having a screening solution if you don't at this point to help you keep up with all of those updates that are made. Um, you know, if you have a vendor that's doing that for you and that's making sure that those are done in a timely fashion and, um, you know, a solution that is able to go back and do the retroactive scans for you, I think that, you know, it's obviously becoming very important um, to have that, at, you know, in, in the world that we're in today. Um, if you're still doing things manually, which there definitely are people and institutions out there that are doing that. Um, it's it's definitely a huge effort to have to go back and do that um, just with the sheer number of updates that we've seen because there's been hundreds this year alone. So, Just to uh, reiterate what Amber said, this administration has been very active in the use of sanctions, not only on Iran, but many other countries, including Venezuela, um, Russia, Korea. and others. Yeah. And North Korea. And so there's been the SDN list and, and is, and, and other lists 
not only the SDN list, but just last week, the, um, the, the Bureau of Industry and Security added a Chinese semiconductor to the BIS entity list, which has a ma- major impact on U.S. companies. So there's been a significant use of these various restricted party lists by this administration, which has been um, obviously keeping sanctions compliance professionals quite busy. As it relates to Iran and as it relates to sanctions compliance generally, these issues certainly um, are changing almost mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Absolutely. And that's why it really is important to, and I think and another thing that I do stress when I do programs and talking to clients is that you have to kind of understand more than just what the news headlines are. Mm-hmm. So it's more than just understanding the headlines. So for example, in January on January 16th, 2016, when the JCPOA was implemented, there was a lot of misunderstanding that U.S. companies could then, you know, were, could, could re-engage with Iran. And that really was not the case because, again, it was only certain transactions with Iran. The same is true here in this particular case. So as it relates to while U.S. companies are prohibited from engaging with Iran, as it relates to non-U.S. companies, and this is where banks, I think, have to be very careful, is that not all transactions with Iran are prohibited. So that's why certainly humanitarian transactions, medical transactions. There are many sectors of Iran's economy that are still authorized and still would not be subject to secondary sanctions. So banks obviously have to take a risk-based approach to determining whether, you know, this is as it relates to a non-U.S. bank, making a risk-based approach, whether they want to still continue to engage in transactions um, with Iran. But it really is important to note that not all transactions with Iran are subject to secondary sanctions. So there still will be some transactions that are permissible and that would not expose that non-U.S. financial institution to U.S. secondary sanctions. I mean, Amber, has there been a uh, sort of a, a wholesale shift in how compliance officers deal with these sanctions? I mean, are, are they are they changing processes? Are they uh, lobbying for any sort of technology change that makes things easier? Like, what's next in the sanctions realm? Like, how how does all of this activity impact the way screening works and, and how these um, <laughs> these poor compliance folks keep up with all this? Well, and I think what you said is definitely true. I mean, and I, I kind of stated that a little bit earlier, but just really the importance of of the right tools and processes in place, um, you know, it's obviously becoming a bigger issue. So making sure that those are there. And yes, that does entail lobbying for additional resources at times, which is not always easy to get, especially when you're in the compliance realm of things. Um, and it, Doug made a valid point as well, just really um, taking a risk-based approach to things, which is something that we key in on a lot and we discuss a lot with our customers, just, you know, making sure that you understand the business that you're in, the type of customers that you're doing business with, um, and the types of transactions that you're dealing with um, to really understand where your exposure lies because, um, you know, things are going to be different from one bank to the next and, you know, outside of banking as well for other industries. Obviously, they're going to have different risk exposures in different areas when it comes to these sanctions programs. So just really having a good understanding of that and making sure that you're going into things, you know, with that awareness, I think is, is really important. Well, guys, we greatly appreciate you coming on the show and uh, explaining some of this to date with us. Uh, may see new things next week, but we will all keep, a, keep our eyes on this um, very interesting topic. Thank you, Amber Goodrich and Doug Jacobson for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be here. 
That's it for this week's episode of FinTech Focus. Thanks again to Amber Goodrich and Doug Jacobson for joining us today. And thanks to all of you for listening. To learn more from Doug, follow him on Twitter at Trade Law News. His feed is a great source of information. And you can check out CSIweb.com to read blog posts from Amber and listen to previous episodes of this show. Subscribe to FinTech Focus wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us how we're doing. Great as always to be with you. And we'll talk to you next time. 